This is Vanderbilt Business. I'm Kara Shear, and last week I sat down with Wes Murray, a 2006 graduate of the MBA program, to discuss the new distillery he helped co-found, named Castle and Key. We talked about the challenges of restoring a historic distillery, how Wes's time at Owen prepared him to become an entrepreneur, and his advice for breaking into the spirits industry. Hey everyone, I'm here today talking with Wes Murray, who is a class of 2006 MBA alum at Owen, and he's in Nashville for the day, so I got a chance to sit down and talk with him about his newest project, the Castle and Key Distillery. So Wes, what brings you to Vanderbilt today? Well, we happen to be in market today to do uh, some sales calls, uh, which is important for us, and we got hooked up with this because in October... Uh, we were asked to serve our gin and vodka at the uh, Owen Alumni event. And through that process, they said we should uh, come do a podcast with you all. And so we're, we're excited to, to be able to do that, but also very excited to be able to share our spirits with, uh, with some fellow alum. Look forward to sharing that with some uh, old friends. Yeah. And for all those of you listening, Reunion is going to be October 12th here at Owen in Nashville. So you should come to Reunion and check out the gin they're going to be serving. So Wes... Can you start by telling us about what path your career has taken since you graduated from Owen? Sure. Graduated Owen in 2006 and immediately went back into a career that I didn't think I would go back into consulting. Before joining or coming to Vanderbilt, I was doing consulting, management consulting in Baltimore and traveled all over the United States and had gotten really tired of flying. And so I said, you know what, a great opportunity for me to go back to school and, and change careers and, and pick up some education along the way and then fell right back into consulting and traveling all over the United States again. <laughs> so uh, full circle in a way. But, you know, it was the entrepreneurial bug that consulting uh, can tease you a little bit because you're constantly faced with new challenges and new problems with every client and customer that you're with. And uh, that's the fun part. The, the downside is that you actually never get to hang around long enough yeah. to see any of that implemented. And that was what actually took me away from consulting eventually was the fact that I couldn't, I couldn't do any of that. After that, I uh, actually ended up joining a friend of mine from business school, class of 05, uh, who had started a small hedge fund. We ended up growing that together for about five years. That was fun. You know, it took something that was a decent size and a great idea made it, you know, even bigger. And uh, again, the, the, the entrepreneurial bug was, was stirring. And that's when, uh, that's when I stumbled onto uh, Castle and Key. So can you talk a little bit more about how exactly you got involved in Castle and Key? Sure. So I was, like I said, I was looking for uh, a, a, the right opportunity and I was going to be really patient about it. And through a mutual friend of mine in Lexington, he introduced me to my business partner and said, you got to talk to this guy. He's got this idea to resurrect this really old distillery. And uh, so we met at a hole in a wall Mexican restaurant and he breaks out this like tattered real estate brochure and there's coffee stains all over it. You know, he had definitely been paging through this thing for a long, long time. And as he's telling me this story, it's part fascinating and part terrifying and part like, are you a little crazy? Uh, because you're talking about a site that's been abandoned for 50 years and it's got all this environmental problems and it's overgrown 
and it's going to cost a lot of money and you're like okay where's the punchline like where where's the opportunity here and he, but at the end of the day he eventually convinced me to come out to the site if you've never been there it's this sort of wild moment you come around the curve and all of a sudden this massive limestone structure just smacks you in the face because it sits like you know 20 feet off the road well probably a little more than that and it's an it's a castle and you're not used to seeing castles in the backwoods of kentucky and it's huge it's not like a tiny little castle and it's not like disneyland castle it's like kind of old and cool and rustic and then you drive by it and what sort of uh, lays out in front of you is this really beautiful industrial complex so it's one part industrial there's buildings and they're tall and they're large but intermixed within all of them are these gardens and these little walking areas now when we first saw or when i first saw the site it was very very crowded and the only places you could walk around the site were where animals had like basically trodden down a path and even though it'd be in the middle of the day you still needed a flashlight to really see around there was no power there was no bathrooms there was no any any functioning utility or anything functioning period did not exist. And when you still, even with all that said, when you walked around the property, you got it and you saw this really neat scenario where, okay, this place by itself is just super unique. Making bourbon sounds really cool. I got to learn more. And so for the next, you know, six months or so, Will and I, we, we just were kind of trying to figure out how we could do this how much money was it going to cost? Could we even make money at it? And then eventually, uh, sort of in a naive way, we just bought it. And then immediately started peeling back the onion of what the site was. So obviously the castle part of Castle and Key came from the castle on the property. Yeah. Um, but I'm wondering where the key part of the name came from. So uh, one of the really cool structures on our property is there's a spring house. And it's European inspired. So, and it's actually shaped uh, like an old keyhole. So Colonel Edmund Haynes Taylor, who built the property starting in 1887, this, he built this structure because bourbon, one of the key ingredients to bourbon is a special type of water, limestone filtered water. It filters out the iron and you know, you don't really want any iron in your water when making spirits. Um, so this particular structure that was shaped like a keyhole and it holds 140,000 gallons of this water that cycles all the time. And we, we use that same water today to make our products. So that's where the key part was. So we have a castle and key. And picking a name was a real fun uh, uh, challenge for us too because we were trying to, to balance like, do we want a subtle name or do we want something that you know is really easy for people to connect with and resonate? And the, the, the connection one uh, won out. Yeah, that's an awesome story. So you were going into the history of Castle and Key there a little bit, and I'm wondering if you can kind of delve into that a little bit more and then talk about what makes it different from other distilleries. Sure. So we're on the cusp of five years since um, we started, well, over five years since I learned and was working on the property and been in business for four and a half. And the first couple years after we purchased the property in April of 2014 was basically just trying to see what we had and deal with the environmental issues. So unfortunately, plants that uh, were uh, constructed in the pre-1900 and up really up until the 1950s used things like asbestos and lead paint. And so we had to, you know, deal with those and make them go away. And that took a long time and, and, and a lot more money than we had planned, <laughs> um, which was sort of a, a theme that has happened over the last four and a half years, a lot more money than had been planned. One of the cool stories, part of the 
part of the plan was not to build this distillery as big as we have today. We were going to build something kind of small and treat most of the site as a, like a, a museum uh, that people could just traverse. But my business partner one day, he said, I wonder if we can use any of this old equipment. And then I have more of a technical background said, you know what, I think we can. And we started spending a lot of time figuring out if we could. And, and in fact, we, we, we did. So not only could we, but we ended up building the entire distillery using what was already in the building. So because what happened was, is, you know, Colonel Taylor built it in 1887. He passes away during Prohibition. After Prohibition, his family sells it to uh, a large corporation called National Distillers, and National Distillers goes really big with it. Um, And then they shut it down in the late 60s, early 70s. And when I mean shut it down, they just like turned it off, boarded up the windows, and sort of left everything inside. Uh, So it was sort of like this weird preservation thing happening. And, you know, from the 1970s until we bought it in 2014, anything of real value like copper and brass had been stolen or sold. But, you know, no one really cared about a tank and no one really cared about uh, fermenters or silos or cookers, but, but we did. And so when we saw those vessels that existed and found out we could reuse them and just reconnect them, that was a super big aha moment. So we went from a little distillery that thought we were going to do like six or seven barrels a day to now we'll be doing over 100 and then sometime next year over 150 barrels a day. So just a slight uptick in terms of uh, what we thought we might be doing. Slight uptick. Slight uptick, yeah. you know. <laughs> So you were talking there about kind of the financial and environmental challenges in terms of restoring an old distillery sure. and getting it functioning again. Were there any other challenges you faced over the years that you've been working on Castle and Key? Yeah, where do we begin? Our first challenge was is we kind of could wrap our minds around it from a construction standpoint. And you can hire plenty of engineers to help you figure out how to rebuild it. But neither one of us knew how to make it. So one of our, our big challenges, like who would come with us to naive... Uh, borderline idiots of the business to to join us in the process of of resurrecting this and also then making product and it was really important to us that we had them on early enough that they were kind of like building the kitchen so to speak so that when they you know actually got to use the kitchen we 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 never told the person this uh, but we didn't want them to complain that they got handed a kitchen and you know it wasn't all the right appliances right we wanted them to have their hands in it was reading an article one day about the four up-and-coming sort of distillers in the industry, and there was only one female. And I was really intrigued by that, and her name was Marianne Eves, and I reached out to her through LinkedIn. And I don't know if you ever try to reach out to somebody on LinkedIn if you're not a friend, but it's like a Twitter post. You only get so many characters, so I had to craft this really interesting slash non-creepy uh, message to... A, get her to write me back, but and B, think that I was like serious. It took a long while, time, I think it was like three weeks, she finally responded, and then after that was able to get her out there, and she fell in love pretty quick too, and, and she joined us in uh, 2015. So that was a big challenge, and then after that, you know, everything from growing from a, a core team of four to now we have over 60 employees, running a campus that's 113 acres, you know, figuring out how to f- pay for it all, finance it all, and right now we have a pretty significant team on site getting ready for our grand opening on September 19th, which has been long awaited. We have a sign on the front of our building that uh, at one point it was 2016 we were going to opening. And then I think, I don't know if it's a seven or a six, but I think they've we've turned the six into a seven and then the seven into an eight on the sign with spray paint <laughs> because it keeps taking us that long to get the place open. But it's been worthwhile because it's such a cool spot. And now it's finally about to happen. Yeah, it is. It's a big moment for us. 
So you guys have obviously been going through a lot of growth recently as you bring on new employees and you're preparing to open. Um, and I know that any entrepreneur has to wear a lot of different hats mm -hmm. over the course of starting a company. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the different roles you've held at Castle & Key. All of them. I have started out running a jackhammer for a while. Uh, I've, I've held a shovel. So there wasn't anything that I was not, you know, going, not going to say no to or was going to say no to, I should say. And then as we've grown, I got really involved early on in the construction and engineering of it. I was sort of naive early on or, or, or just not well versed in it. However, with the help of the engineers and, and Mary Ann would learn quite a bit. Uh, I was an operator for a while in the distillery. When we first started up, I was I was cooking and distilling, you know, every single day built warehouses, erected a bottling line, just, I mean, everything you can potentially imagine um, you would do from the actual physical part of making your product all the way to, you know, building the company. I'm, I've probably given, a, I don't know, five, 600 interviews in the last four years, sifted through thousands of resumes. I didn't ever have to um, do the books. One of the first hires was uh, my regulator when I was at the hedge fund. So at the state level, so we hired her and she was able to take care of the financials, although anything pro forma wise or forecasting wise or, or banking wise, that was generally on my on my shoulders, too. So, yeah, whether whether it's been planning, operations, supply chain, HR, strategy, marketing, and even I don't do as much in sales, but even a little bit of sales like I'm out here in Nashville today, I, I've worn them all. And obviously you've had to wear a lot of different hats. And so I'm wondering if your time at Owen and or your varied work background in consulting in the hedge fund and other experiences helped prepare you at all to play all those different roles. I think it very much did. Consulting made me less afraid of, you know, a real challenge because often you're given a pretty hefty task in a short time frame. So, you know, you know, you, and you have to deliver. Otherwise, you're not going to get the next engagement. And, and then Owen, you know, just... One of the things that attracted me to the school to begin with was the way that I had the flexibility to structure my curriculum the way that I wanted to. So I was actually taking classes over at the engineering school when I was here. You know, I actually had a, uh, a job during my first year of school where I was working on Tuesdays and Thursdays at a, at a real estate company in Nashville, scouring the market because I thought real estate was going to be something I was going to be interested in. And then when I was here, I worked with a professor both in first and second year we built what the accelerator program together so which is now a very successful program in the school so it's been a very interesting experience here at Owen. it was a fun packed two years when i took this project on it i just wasn't really afraid of the work what's really interesting is all the different courses that i took here i can honestly say that I, i've used them all and the ones I needed more of were like leadership and HR courses because I feel like I spent the vast majority of my time doing that type of work now. The, uh, the finance and everything else, you can. there's usually team members who can help you do that. But the leadership and HR stuff, that always seems to fall up. But yeah, no, I, I felt very well prepared because of my time here and my consulting career. So especially with the rise of distilleries in the United States, a lot of students are looking to break into the beverage industry, especially the spirits category, mm -hmm. including a lot of people at business school. And so I'm wondering if you have any advice for them based on your experience at Castle & Key. For a company like us, I mean, we're finally at that point in that size where, you know, hiring, hiring at that level begins to make sense early on. It, it just didn't. You know, it's a, it's a very consumer-focused business. 
at the end of the day, all this work and toil and energy goes towards building a brand and communicating that brand uh, to, to a set of loyal consumers that you hope to build. How good you get at things like telling a great story matter a lot. And how you think about the consumer and what they care about matters a lot. And are you able to connect your product to them matters a lot. What doesn't matter a lot is the IRR and, and the financial pieces. It obviously needs to make financial sense. But you spend a lot, lot less time on that and a lot more time figuring out, okay, how do you position this particular product so it matters to the retailer, to the bartender, to the mixologist, because ultimately they're our gatekeeper to our final consumer. Uh, we don't actually get to interact too much with our final consumer unless they come to our property, which they hopefully will starting in September. So it's, it's, a, it's been a real interesting learning lesson. It's a game of influence, if you really think about it. Our job is to influence our distributor partners, our retail, uh, retail partners, our bartenders, our liquor stores, whatever, whatever the venue is, enough that they feel like they can become uh, an ambassador of sorts uh, to to then you know effectively sell your brand for you to your target and end consumer and speaking of coming to the property i know that you mentioned earlier you've got your brand opening here in a few weeks um, so can you talk a little bit more about that and then what people will be able to do if they come visit castle and key sure so we were blessed with an amazing property to begin with at a very, very early stage, we went and visited all the distilleries multiple times in the area to try to get a lay of the land. Okay, what are they doing and how are they doing it? And then we said, well, we don't want to be a Me Too sort of experience. And there's a, such a thing as they call trail fatigue. So it's called the Bourbon Trail. And much like Napa Valley, so we're the Bourbon Trail. And there's this idea of trail fatigue where once you've been to one or two distilleries, the next ones, it's all just more about the tasting and not really the experience because it's sort of like very duplicative. So we started off very early on saying we wanted to, it's not a tour, it's an experience. You know, and how do we treat people not as visitors, but as guests to our property? And so everything from the way we interact with them through if they book a reservation with us, which is how we prefer they do it, we will start interacting with them a few days before they even arrive at our site to understand their concerns. They have mobility challenges because we're an old site, so not everything is ADA friendly as we would love it to be, to anything that they want to hear more about. Do they want more architectural or do they want more distillation focused? Uh, we have a lot of really beautiful gardens, and do they want to focus more on the horticultural aspects? And then what we're able to do is sort of tailor the experience a little bit so what they come in it's a little bit more focused on them versus just focused on us. And so they connect more deeply with us and what we're doing because it's now tailored for what they want to hear versus what we want to tell them. And, you know, when they come in, they get checked in by someone, they're handed a packet of information. And then when they, when they complete the tour, excuse me, the experience, uh, my uh, brand director will kill me for saying tour, but leave that part in there. <laughs> and uh, they, will, they come into a, a tasting room and, you know, all along, like we don't do large groups. Everything's targeted at 15 people, more intimate, and there's actually two hosts per group. And those, the idea is that if there's people who are on the experience who want to pause and look at something while the rest of the group wants to move forward they can do that and then get caught up to the group 
And when they come in, we want them to experience our spirit in a way that it was designed to be experienced. So today, because we, from a strategy perspective, the only product we sell is something that we make ourselves. So our bourbon and rye whiskey and weeded whiskey and some other really cool stuff is maturing nicely in barrels now and not ready. So what we did is we made a gin. And to make a really good gin, you actually have to make a really good vodka. So we made that too. And so when, when people come in, we serve them in gin and vodka in a way that is not just sipping gin or vodka. It's actually in a cocktail form. And so some of our staff are really, really good at making custom cocktails. Uh, they either were bartenders or mixologists. And so they've created some really cool flavors uh, and drinks. And so they'll, they'll consume the drink that way. So we even had custom chocolates made. Uh, I forget the name of the company, but it's actually here in Nashville. And they used our vodka in the chocolate that they made. So it's like we ship the vodka down here. They actually make a recipe with it, and it's supposed to taste like a Moscow mule when you eat it, and it's pretty. It's actually really good. Uh, everything about that, the whole experience is just highly curated. We've done a few test runs now, and it's gone off so, so well, and we're really, really excited to now roll it out to the public at large. Awesome. Sounds like a great experience. And so you were talking there a little bit about how obviously certain spirits have to age longer than others. So it sounds like gin and vodka is available now and then the bourbon and rye is coming down the pipe in the future? Correct. So our gin and vodka is available in uh, in Nashville. You can can find it at many local restaurants here in town and uh, also at your liquor store. It's in Knoxville as well now. We just opened up there a few weeks ago and then Louisville and Lexington. Uh, We're starting to get into Western Kentucky uh, uh, as well. So we're just in, in Kentucky and Tennessee for this year and we'll open up to more states next year. Awesome. One last question. So if people want to learn more about Castle and Key, where can they either find you online or come visit you guys? Yes. So you can find us online at our website, www.castleandkey.com. We're also on social media. Instagram is probably the best way to follow us. It's at Castle and Key. You know, we post all kinds of information uh, through our Instagram. We're also on Twitter. I think the same handle and Facebook and all those social social enterprises, which you can get at our website. And then um, we'll be down here uh, uh, with our rye whiskey next year, which is very exciting for us. Uh, and then a couple of years after that will be our bourbon. Nice. Uh, well, thank you so much for your time today. Wes. Absolutely. Thanks to Wes again for his time. And thank you for listening. You can find more stories and information about Owen's Graduate School of Management by visiting our website, business.vanderbilt.edu, or following at Vanderbilt Owen on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Music is provided by Mike Foster, and I'm Kara Shearer.